0: Welcome to a special edition of Data Plus Love. I am not Zach. I am, in fact, Mark, your host for generally the Data Fam News. But today I have a special honor and I will be performing the new interview genre or maybe it's a theme of Data, Ask Them Anything. So, Zach, how are you, my friend?
1: I'm, I'm a little on edge to... to- To be serious, Mark. Um, So I put this out there on Twitter on a lark. And then, sort of in the time I did that and the time insane questions started pouring in, I was like, this could be a new show format. Also, what have I done? Um, So it's going to be really interesting to see how this goes because. I haven't really read through the questions other than just collect them. So even I don't know what I'm going to say. Um, so yeah, this, this could be uh this could all be edited out later.
0: Yeah. And I have a feeling on some of these questions, we will tangent like you have never tangented before. Let's hope so. Let's hope so. <laughs> so I'm going to, only use first names from those who ask the questions to protect the innocent, um, especially if we do tangent down a road that maybe, maybe uh, it will be questionable. Because, um, like, as I scan through the questions, like, question number two could really go off the rails really quickly.
1: Oh boy, let's do this!
0: Let's do it! Let's go! All right, okay. So the first set of questions, and I found it interesting. Like, you just put it out there. You know, ask me anything. Some people just asked a simple one question, you know, soliloquy. Others had like deep, like lists of questions. So the, our first asker of questions is Lindsay, and we'll start with a simple: What's your biggest pet peeve?
1: Wow. Okay. So my wife has gotten really into drinking like bubbly water of various kinds, and uh, particularly San Pellegrino is her poison, and she really likes the leader bottles, which are huge. And she likes to, like, drink from them like a pirate. So, like, she throws her head back and, like, drinks deeply and then, like, kind of sets it down hard. It's like, ah! And um, and that's it. And I I love you, honey. I know you don't listen to this. (laughs) (laughs) Start off strong! Yeah.
0: All right. This one, I love the use of parentheticals. So, what is the first appropriate, in parentheticals, thing that you do in the morning? Which makes me wonder, what does Lindsay do in the morning? But I digress. Zach, what is the first appropriate thing you do in the morning?
1: I don't know what I would do that would be inappropriate. But the first thing I do, uh, besides hitting the snooze alarm a couple of times, in the form of telling uh, Alexa to stop, is I get up, I walk to the kitchen, and I pour a cup of coffee, which I then forget about and go take a shower and come back and it's loose. All
0: right. right. I am, too, trying to figure out what would be an inappropriate thing to do when you wake
1: up. I'm assuming she's like omitting the bathroom, which uh, we're all human here.
0: Yeah, that's an appropriate thing.
1: Yeah, you, you yeah. got to do that.
0: Yeah, okay. Um, what is your favorite? Uh,
1: I say it's summer because all the fun activities are then, but in Memphis, it's also like 105 degrees and you spend the whole time inside. So realistically, probably spring, but I'm not sure what that is because we don't really have that here. You just transition from winter to, um, to summer with about a day and a half in the middle.
0: That's, that's like Cleveland. You know, we go from, from summer to winter and we have, you know, a day of fall and it's usually a Thursday. So,
1: it's a great day.
0: Yeah. It's an Excellent day. <laughs> All right. So now we get into the more of the business type, you know, what is your favorite chart type?
1: Uh, bar chart. I, I just feel like it's really versatile. Um, it's really easy to use. It's harder to misuse than a lot of charts and um. Yeah, I mean, it's there's a reason it's one of the the industry standards for so many things because it's just a highly so bar chart, Absolutely. and you can make them look great. Look at Spencer Bocky's work. Yeah, heck
0: yeah. I, I refer to them as the Swiss Army knife of data visual.
1: Oh yeah. Um.
0: And last one from Lindsay. Uh, if you could do anything without the risk of dying, what would it be?
1: Uh, uh, what I, I mean. Like, I guess it would be fun to I'd like to do one of those like track experiences where you get to like take a supercar out. Um, also, I don't know how to drive stick, uh, so that would be fun. But yeah, it's like it, I think more than death, I think the liability is my concern. Like if I damage that thing like that costs more than my house. So that I actually I'd be like pray for death, like death as opposed to being saddled with with the damages. So can we switch that to like without like worrying about liability? Sure. My wife's an attorney. I always go straight to live.
0: There you go. I, I could just picture you dying and leaving your uh, sparkling water drinking pirate wife with all the debt. Good job.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I have a <laughs> great life funny. insurance policy. She'll be she'll be fine. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so oddly, I've done I've done one of those um, supercar track events. Uh, I, got, I got it a few years ago for a Father's Day gift and got to drive a Ferrari and a Lamborghini on a racetrack. They are not stick. They actually have the automatic versions, which makes it a little easier, Um, but hell of a lot of fun. And you can buy like the insurance waiver for like a hundred (laughs) bucks.
1: There you go. Now we're talking. Okay. There we go, Lindsay. That's the answer.
0: There you go. All right. So thank you, Lindsay, for your set of questions. Next question set five comes from Tim. And the first question is, if you could guest or co-host on another podcast, which would it be and why?
1: Um, I would love to co-host on Freakonomics, uh, with Evan Dubner. Um, Freakonomics is very influential to me having read it back in college, sort of got me interested in data before I knew that was a career. And then it was sort of a big validation to me that at my first Tableau conference in Vegas, uh, uh, the Both Stevens, uh, Dubnit and Levitt, Dubner and Levitt came and spoke at the conference. And that was just uh, really exciting for me. So I'm a big fan of their books. I'm a big fan of the podcast. And that would be uh, really cool for me to co host.
0: I remember that talk well. And it gave me um, the mental tidbit that I can never forget the fact that 95% of turkeys have to be artificially inseminated because their breasts are too big to get close enough to have sex.
1: My my takeaway was that if you're paying for concierge level service on your pet uh, cremations, that you're being ripped off.
0: <laughs> that too. <laughs> oh, OK. So outside of data viz, who are some of your favorite content creators? He's talking about art, music, movies, etc.
1: Um, sure. I, I obviously like Christopher Nolan films quite a bit. He's one of my favorite uh, directors. Um, I read quite a bit. Uh, Michael Crichton is my favorite all-time author. Um, I was actually working on a viz based on some of his stuff, just incredibly influential in me. Like that's the first novel I ever read was a Michael Crichton novel. I literally binged Jurassic Park in like a 24 hour span as an 11 year old. Um, which was very intense. Um, so I would say that those are probably two of my primary influences, but I don't know. I, I consume quite a lot of stuff, like probably more than I should, which is one of the reasons I want to create a lot of stuff because no one, uh, no one likes to just strictly be a consumer. You want to be doing something of your own out there as well.
0: All right. What's first on your post pandemic?
1: Well, I put this thread out there on Twitter the other day, but I'm hugging everybody like I'm not really a hugger. Like if anyone's ever read the book, The Five Love Languages, like my wife's family, one of theirs is like physical touch. So when I first met all of them, they all wanted to hug me. And like, who are these strangers and why are they touching me? Um, but uh, yeah, post post pandemic, uh, once we're we're in a safer place, everybody's getting hugged. I'm sorry. Like it's on. Um, that includes Adam Miko is going to shy away it's coming son watch out
0: actually i got a hug from adam when i saw him in cincinnati
1: oh you and kevin okay so everyone's getting Miko hugs in cincinnati i i'm hearing this adam
0: cincinnati was a special event man you should have been there
1: it, it looked look it looked magical and i was talking with kevin um i was actually planning on coming to one of the upcoming uh, cincinnati cincinnati tugs because like it's the place to be like it's where everyone congregates. So yeah. like there were amazing, amazing guests, amazing speakers. There were like eight Zen masters at that one. I'm like, oh man, I got to go to one of these. And then COVID hit and like the world ended.
0: Yep. Yes. Um. Yeah. That, there's no argument there. I don't know what Cincinnati's draw is because I've been to Cincinnati, but yeah, all of the database folks tend to, to go
1: there. So. I, I don't know. Let's get them out. Let's save them, Mark. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Oh man! Okay, tangent, tangent, tangent. Um, all right. So, um, this feels like a two-part question, but it's asked in two separate questions. So, is Tom Hardy's Bane underrated?
1: I don't know. I mean, it's Christopher Nolan does this terrible mumblecore thing that he's really into, and as one of the people that did see Tenant in theaters for like you know the month it was out, I saw it on an MXT screen. I got invited to a showing uh, by a friend. I went and saw it, and. uh, is a brand new screen that had just sort of opened. It'd been sitting there, you know, during COVID unused. uh, And this was the first movie to show on it. And uh, during large parts of that movie, people are wearing gas masks and mumbling at each other. And there's not a subtitle to be found. And I just think it's a Christopher Nolan convention. He's like... Hey, actually, I read an article about it. He's like, look, no one complains when people do interesting things with visuals. I'm doing interesting things with sound. I'm like, I wouldn't call it so much interesting as obnoxious. Like if I can't grasp key plot points because your character is semi unintelligible, like I shouldn't have to watch the movie with subtitles. I'm not deaf yet. (laughs) Um, But yeah, it's like maybe the performance was good. I I thought the movie was interesting, Um, but I, I don't know if it's underrated. Sorry, Tim
0: i say the, the follow-up to that was is it because he followed ledger's joker
1: no but that doesn't help no. like that no yeah. one wants to follow that act
0: all right <laughs> so that's tim set Ooh. um whew. all right 11 in wait 11 uh, how many okay never mind.
1: there's 50 oh so. wow okay yeah. we're doing this
0: <laughs> so um john submitted one and only one question and sadly it's going to be repeated later so i'll make sure and edit that out um But John wanted to know, when you're loading toilet paper on the roll, is it over or under?
1: There's two answers, because we, we live in a complicated world, John. The correct answer in a utopian world would be over. I, however, live with small children and a curious kitten. And if I do it over, the curious kitten fills the entire bathroom floor with the toilet paper. So you have to do under, even though it's against everything I believe in and know to be right and true. Uh, under in this case yeah
0: just like database it it depends
1: yeah exactly (laughs) exactly it's like that's a terrible idea you should never do that except now It's cr- it's the crossing the streams of toilet paper, you know, like in Ghostbusters, you never cross the streams except like, hey, right now, I think we have to cross the streams. That's that's what it's come to a toilet paper.
0: All right. Um, so Jeff asks, if you could travel back in time, what one piece of advice would 40 year old Zach give to 20 year old Zach?
1: Wow. Um, it's not as, uh, nothing's going to be as easy as you think it will be. Um, your journeys aren't going to be straightforward. Nothing is linear, but, uh, keep working, um, stay positive and, uh, just generally know that, uh, eventually you will find stuff that you're good at and that you enjoy and that, um, it's more about the destiny. I mean, it's more about the journey than the destiny.
0: Good. All right. No matter how crappy a day you've had, what song can you always count on to cheer you up?
1: OK, this is going to piss a lot of people off, but I honestly uh, really like Never Gonna Give You Up. So like the Rick Roll, like that legitimately makes me smile and not just because it makes other people angry. I do love Schadenfreude. Like I just was watching Nailed It before I came up here, which combines two of my great loves in life, Baking Shows and Other People's Misery. Um, but no, in this, in this case, I actually do like that Rick Astley song and it's really hard to be sad while listening to it. Um, it might make you angry while listening to it if you're in a bad mood, but it's not going to make you sad.
0: I'm going to really be disappointed if I don't hear 10 seconds of that on the playback of this.
1: (laughs) (laughs) All
0: right. Um, do you find Jimmy Fallon funny? Wow. Wow. Why or why not?
1: Okay. So, um, I found him to be insufferable and totally humorless when he was on SNL. I thought he was one of the worst cast members of all time. I thought his sketches were insipid, and I couldn't stand how he couldn't seem to go a sketch without breaking. Having said that, as a late night host, I think he's truly gifted at that, and he's charming and is, uh, is successfully humorous there. But perhaps uh, you know sketch comedy was not his genre, and I, I don't really think it was.
0: Yeah, I can feel that. Um, all right, so last one, very deep question here: in sync or Backstreet Boys?
1: Okay, in sync uh, because of JT. Justin Timberlake is truly amazing. Um, and in my early days of my career, back when I was an IT professional. I worked in a back office uh, with uh, my buddies, David Kelly, and a guy named Dan. And we would do um, a mixtape where we would just all sort of rotate through playing songs. And um, Justin Timberlake's uh, solo album had recently dropped. And he's got the song Senorita on there, which is a call and response with like the the fellas and the ladies. And for some reason, whenever like the ladies part would come on. so, So like the guys, they're like, it feels like something's heating up. Can I leave with you? And then it's like, and ladies, and Dan would always do the ladies' part. It's like, I don't know what I'm thinking about. I'm really living with you. And it's like, so um, just if if for no other reason with Justin Timberlake's talent and and him being there, just those memories of Dan uh doing that. And now all of you having heard me do that.
0: That is fantastic. Oh my gosh. Okay. Um, next set of questions is from Donal. And uh, he wants to know what food gives you the worst burps.
1: Wow. um, Gosh, I don't know. Like, I, I would probably say like picnic food. Like, I'm thinking like hot dogs, that kind of situation. Like, it might be the combination of like all of that, that sort of outdoorsy uh, summer food. But yeah, that definitely does something. Like, I, I don't have it nailed down to a single item, but I'm going to say the the summer outdoor cookout.
0: Yeah, as I was gonna say, that, that gets me. And it's probably I think it's the speed eat outdoors.
1: There's there's so much going on there, right? Like you're yeah. you're eating more than you should. It's hot outside. You're you're consuming uh, food of various temperatures. There's way too much meat going on. Um, a lot of stuff. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, he also wanted to know how you load your toilet paper. So apparently
1: that is an international question. Again, it's a peacetime or wartime question, Donald. <laughs> like, what are we talking about?
0: He also wants to know how many couch forts you've built in the last two years.
1: I don't build, build couch forts. I get couch forts built on me. So I have a nine-year-old and a six-year-old daughter Mm -hmm. and what they like to do is uh, we have a big sectional. They like to, if I'm sitting there innocently watching TV, which is always a mistake. Like I just shouldn't watch TV in there. They'll tear sections of the couch off and just run at me with them and pile them on top of me. Um, And my option is I can either start fighting them off, which is what they want. Or I can just lay there and take it and they just start piling stuff on me. So they've taken pictures before of like six foot high pile of pillows and stuff on top of me. And I mean, occasionally they'll like stick something in there to poke me to like look for signs of life. Like, I don't know if what they're I don't know if they're hoping that I'm dead or alive. Like, I don't know if they're checking. Like, I don't want to get in trouble. Like, maybe dad's dead dad. or like, like, did we finish the job? Like, is it done? But uh, either way, uh, eventually they uh, they get bored with the just stacking things on me and want to poke me and let me out. The
0: cornerstone defense.
1: <laughs> oh Yeah, it's like go limp. <laughs> just, just just take it.
0: Oh, all right. Um, Jim had a couple of questions. Um, were you were you a scout?
1: I was I okay. actually uh, so- I got the rank of Eagle and I earned three huh. palms.
0: Congratulations. Um, all right. So his question was, what is the most important skill from scouting that you still lean on today?
1: Sure. I mean, the most important, I think, is leadership overall, because it's a like boy led organization, as they always say. That's kind of true to degree. like adults are there to keep it on the rails so it doesn't go full on Lord of the Flies, which it certainly can. But um, the patrols and the senior patrol leader and all of that structure is You know, it's like it's a very democratic process, like people sort of run and get elected to a position for a little while. And while they're in that position, they have a lot of responsibilities, whether it be organizing their group or, you know, planning the next trip or keeping everyone on task when they're on that trip. I remember um, having to make some very unpopular choices when I was senior patrol leader, which was we're at a camp out. It was a cold morning. uh, It was really miserable outside, but we were really supposed to be packing up to leave. And like, no one was really wanting to get moving. Like everyone was just chilling. And it's like, we we were needing to leave this campsite. Like we weren't supposed to be there much longer. And uh, you're also supposed to clean up after yourself. So one of the tenants is you're supposed to leave the site better than you found it. So like, we got to move. So uh, I ended up dousing the fire, which, which um, I, I think I made some mortal enemies that day. But it was one of those unpopular (laughs) decisions where it's like, look, I'm going to be the bad guy here for a minute, but we all got to got to get on the same page here. And uh, this may be a shock to the system uh, and get everyone rolling. But uh, yeah.
0: All right. And then uh, 180 degrees from that is what is your favorite kind of Pop-Tart?
1: I'm going to go Frosted Strawberry. It's a very classic. uh, It's hard to beat that.
0: It's an OG Pop-Tart. Oh, yeah. All right. Uh, Next question. Single question from Judith uh What city do you want to travel to when the pandemic is over, and why is it Budapest?
1: Uh, because I have a friend there who's going to let me stay at her place. It's a good reason. That's that's the best reason I have. Also, apparently, like digital piracy is totally legal in Hungary. So, like, if you need that copy of Microsoft Office two thousand three, like, not a problem. Just like take a trip to Hungary. And... Hmm. Did not know that. <laughs> we talk a lot. I've, I've learned quite a bit.
0: Yeah. Oh, all right. Uh some guy named Kevin uh wants to know what your favorite Tableau viz is ever. Oh boy. That's an impossible question.
1: It's it's unsporting. Yeah, it
0: really is. It's coming I think, from Kevin, I can expect that.
1: Well, don't worry, it's not one to hit now. <laughs> um I think I I probably have to go back to the one that sort of captured my imagination in the first place, which is Rodi Zakovich's uh, Queen Viz with Freddie Mercury and the sort of albums bending down in the rainbow into like the microphone. Like that was the one where I just first sort of realized, like, oh, data viz can be almost anything like um, you just have to sort of have the technical ability and the imagination and uh, put in the work. Uh, So that that to me really opened up my imagination. It's always sort of stuck with me.
0: Yeah, that that's a fantastic. Um, so who's your favorite
1: guest been so far? Oh wow. That,
0: that's an evil question to ask, too.
1: Also, not Kevin.
0: <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, gosh, it's uh it's all it's always my most recent guest, to be honest. Like it's uh each time I do a podcast, um, a lot of times, depending on how the day is going and stuff, I'm already tired and like I'm kind of not looking forward to the evening like, oh, man, like because when you're hosting the podcast, you have to be really on. You can't uh, be a passive participant because you're there to active listen and to be engaging and to honestly make them feel happy to be there. Like um, because especially since they're doing you a favor by appearing on the podcast in the first place. So the last thing you want to do is show up and it feel like Oh, it's an imposition, you know, they're imposing on you by showing up to record your podcast, right? So um, oftentimes, uh, a lot of people I have on the podcast, I might know a little bit, but I might not know that well. And one of my favorite things is when I record a podcast with someone and then like, we just keep going afterwards, like we might wrap the podcast, but sometimes it's just you've gotten so into the conversation that you just want to keep talking. And that's that's why it's always my most recent guest, because I'm always learning someone uh, some I'm learning more about someone than I knew before and getting to know a lot of people better. So truly, your favorite guest is your next. One, always absolutely. Like you, you next guest. You are my favorite.
0: And then uh, let's see. He also wants to know what your favorite gift you got for Christmas. I know it's not Christmas yet at time of recording, but um, anything stick out?
1: I mean, I, like this year, nothing yet, Kevin. But like ever, probably a Nintendo Entertainment System when I was eight years old. Because one, I was eight and that was like the biggest gift I'd ever gotten. But also, you know, that was sort of like the biggest thing in the world at the time. And there aren't many times you get that gift that is the coolest thing you could possibly ever get in the world. I mean, last year I got something truly uh, interesting. My wife bought me an Oculus Quest, which was probably the biggest thing in the world at that time because I had just finished reading the book uh, The History of the Future" by Blake J. Harris, which was about the uh, foundation of Oculus by 19 year old Palmer Lucky and his parents' driveway. And uh, I sort of became fascinated with VR. I've never actually used it before, but I was so enraptured by, you know, the imagination behind it and how it had just never happened and how this, you know, this uh, part-time college student was like, hey, how come this never happened? I bet I could figure this out and sort of caught the attention of people across the world and just became this magnet for money and attention and built a company. And I mean, it, it's a, it's an amazing story. Like I highly recommend uh, the history of the future to anyone and uh, Blake J. Harris's book in general, like console war.
0: Mm. And Kevin's last question is your favorite personal viz. Again, it's like picking your favorite child, <laughs>
1: Um, usually my most recent viz because <laughs> I fall out of love with my viss very quickly. So uh, I was, I think I was talking about this with maybe Michelle before, but I go back and look at my portfolio and I'm like, I'm just generally not loving a lot of them. Some of them I'm really happy with, and I would do them the same way, but that's not the case of most things. Like as I sort of, you know, develop my sensibilities and pick up new skills all the time and maybe even, uh, change my, my own perspectives or my own, um, sensibilities for design, Uh, a lot of times you look back and even if it's a topic you liked, you're just, "Mm." I mean, there's, there's a reason I've hit the video game data set for sales like five or six times, because I look at them like, I guess another angle I could take on this. And I just kept iterating and, You know, I came up with a couple of versions I really liked and a lot of them I really didn't. Um, But it's it's fun to revisit the same data set like you do it at work all the time. Like most people very rarely only use a data set one time at work unless you're like a consultant and you're sort of uh, doing that and moving on. A lot of people, particularly if you work internally at a company, are using the same data set for years. So why not do that with a passion project viz? Like go back and look at the same data set again and see if you get to the same place.
0: Nice. Yeah. I was actually looking at my portfolio today, and I have the same feeling with a lot of the stuff I've made. It's like, <laughs> um, but it shows growth, as Mister Creeble says. Don't delete anything. Um, all right. So, Jenny, moving on to our next questioner, um, she asks another time travel question, but more of what year would you go to? Wow. My? Oh gosh.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's time travel questions are such a mixed bag because. Uh, our color, our perception of time is so colored by whatever our current sensibilities are, and also whatever um, media we've consumed about a particular time period. I think it might be interesting, just because I I was reading uh, Ron Chernow's uh, Hamilton, like to go back to sort of like you know seventeen seventies, uh, you know, northeastern United States, and just see what it really was like during that time. Having watched like the show Turn and read some other books about sort of the revolutionary period in the United States, it's kind of fascinating because, you know, it's it's very much a mixed bag. Like, um, you know, previous versions of history may have colored it like, hey, the British are the bad guys, the US are the good guys. But there's a lot of people, it's like, hey, these are all neighbors. You know, they're all kind of coexisting and trying to figure out how to make this thing work in the midst of just like a lot of social turmoil. And I think it'd be really interesting to see like how that really kind of shook out just, you know, people living their lives and stuff.
0: Yeah, hist- history is written by the winners, so you really yeah. n- never have a true perspective of it. Totally. So, yeah, that w- that would actually be really fascinating. Um all right. Um we're over the halfway point by the way. Wow. Um, yeah. <laughs> Cooking right along. Um all right, so Luke uh wants to know what's something about 2021 you're excited for, either a data project or with the podcast.
1: Well, I think um Data projects. I never plan that far ahead. I wish I had that kind of foresight. And I, the the longest data project I've ever taken on, taken on outside of work was my uh, Iron biz, and which I put like thirty six hours. Um, so nothing uh, on that front that I know of, but I will be excited when I get there. Uh, in terms of the podcast, um, I'm thinking about making this a more permanent format, meaning I think a lot of guests might like the idea of sort of putting a crowdsourced interview out there. So it'd be an interesting way to talk to people differently than we had in the past. You know, you've got the DataFam news. I have um, Data Plus Love. But, you know, this data, ask them anything might be a fun new format to experiment with and see if uh, people respond to it. Yeah, I like it. It's fun.
0: It's fun. Um, All right. Holy top 10. Is that 10? It's now it's 11. Good Lord. All right. Um, Vince. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) I love Vince. He's so awesome. Um, I just. ugh.
1: God, I, love I, that. I once saw Vince eat an 18 inch long taco called the machete. But like when you when you describe that, that's like a stunt eating thing. Right. But we were <laughs> just at lunch. He just ate this like it was nothing. Um, and I'm not saying it's like Vince is like a big guy or Vince is like no. an animal. Like Vince just kind of casually ate an 18 inch taco while we were all talking. Uh, wow. <laughs> all
0: right. So his <laughs> questions. Oh, my gosh um so what's on your bucket list
1: a uh, great yeah. question I don't have one like my wife's always talking about her bucket list and I don't have that kind of thing like I'm just living life like I just sort of opportunities uh strike sometimes and you're like oh that sounds like a good idea but people are like uh you know I, I really want to see the Parthenon like I don't have any of that in me and sometimes I feel like I'm missing out on that but I don't have like a list of things that I really need to do um so far I guess I've just been blessed in that a lot of cool stuff happens and I have a wife that's very passionate about travel. So that gets me places. Yeah.
0: I have a bucket list of bands that I want to not really written down, but like when these old acts roll through, like I might have only have their greatest hits, but I'm like, you know what? I want to see these guys before they die.
1: Yeah. Like you got to get in on that. There, It's but, a the clock's ticking. Yeah. a kiss. Yeah. <laughs> <Ooh. laughs> Hurry up, Mark.
0: No, I've, I've seen them like four times now because I did that. They were a bucket list and I went and saw them and I'm like, holy crap, these guys put on a great live show and then I've gone like four. Anyway, <laughs> um, <laughs> what is your best and worst habit?
1: Wow. Um, my worst habit is probably uh, unsolicited advice. I think I probably learned that from my dad, but my dad always says exactly what he's thinking. Um, and like that manifests in me too. But it's it's coming from a place of positivity, but a misguided place of positivity. Like you care what I have to say. Um, my uh, a, a good attribute about me is that I genuinely do uh, try to elevate and lift up others, both both in public ways, like you might see me doing on Twitter. But I'm also um, always trying to encourage people that I either work with or know, or friends or family and stuff. So um, it's really easy to be uh, negative and to be cynical and we all have that in us like um don't let anyone fool you and that like they're all just you know they're they're just the happiest person in the world like everyone's got uh got those feelings but i it doesn't help anyone else to like spread that to them you know it's like why why not build them up instead uh he wants to know what your favorite holiday is oh gosh um not thanksgiving um, I I am the the person of the feeling that after Halloween, like Christmas season has begun, because I feel like Thanksgiving is kind of a BS filler holiday. Um, I know I look, I'm throwing, <laughs> I'm spitting fire like after wow. after my last one about positivity. Like Thanksgiving's <laughs> going down. Um, so maybe Christmas, like it's got good food. You know, it's it's generally uh, a, a happy time of year in general, like even if even if you don't celebrate Christmas, you sort of get like joy splash damage of like everyone else is kind of in a good mood. People are feeling generous. Um, there's festive boozy milk beverages to be had. Um, so, yeah, like there, there's a lot of fun stuff going on with that that I enjoy.
0: my my entire family has been baking like for the last. <laughs> yeah, it's good times at in my house right now. Yeah. <laughs> Um, what's your perfect meal? Knowing that it's not an eighteen-inch taco named the Machete.
1: <laughs> wow. Okay. So there. Um. I live in a suburb of Memphis, Tennessee called Collierville, Tennessee. Um. Which is like a couple hundred years old or something. I live near a town square. It kind of looks like Stars Hollow from Gilmore Girls. It's right. I like Gilmore Girls. Um. And we used to have this little Thai restaurant on the square called Jaja's Cuisine of Thai, which was run by this family. So. There's the husband who I don't know what he does. There's the wife who's who's like elderly and she would cook in the kitchen. And then there was the daughter who was in her mid thirties who was the waitress. And I, I realize this is a long setup, but it's worth it. Um, So when you come in and sit down, the, do- the daughter just come up to be like, how many? And what she meant was how many egg rolls do you want? Because it wasn't a question of whether you were ordering them. It was literally a question of how many you were having. The correct answer is two. Um, so you order two egg rolls. And then at some point, um, you know, your pad Thai comes, which is invariably what I'd order because it was amazing. And um, they had a small like a small CRT television. I'm talking like in 2008, like that, like I don't even know how this TV was still around, like still working. But um, the grandmother who the mother is cooking in the kitchen may come out and take a seat from your table and sit at your table and watch American Idol with you while you're eating the pad thai but you didn't care because the pad thai and the, the egg rolls were just that good um and and then unfortunately uh they closed down a few years ago sure, her health was waning and stuff but yeah it was it was the best uh the best thai food would be that like that's my dying dying request meal yeah also so uh, any any situation where i get to tilt magic towards making food appear it would be that
0: yeah, so that goes beyond the meal. That's the experience.
1: The experience. Like, yeah. The yeah. You you need the you need the discourteous uh uh daughter waiting on you and the mom sitting at the table and the husband doing just whatever he did. I don't know, he was there.
0: All right. Um, what's the man, his questions bounce from like just wall to wall. Um, what's the most impressive skill you have while not using a computer?
1: I I think I'm the Harry Potter of life in that I'm stunningly mediocre in most ways. Um you know, like, if you've ever read the Harry Potter books, you know he's, like, the the worst character out of everything. Not because he's, like, bad, but because he is not particularly skilled in any way. Yeah, he like, gets better in the he... stuff. Hermione's way smarter. It should be, like, Hermione Granger and, like, the Sorcerer's Stone. Like, really, if we were doing this right. But, like, Harry just kind of, like, lucked into this. I mean... it's very much like raiders of the lost ark where like Indiana jones like you know he weren't there the nazis would have gotten the ark sooner and maybe vaporized hitler instead um but like no it's like harry harry's just sort of sucked into this and he's not that great at anything but he's there like that's kind of how i feel about most things like i'm pretty good at some stuff but like i don't think there's any like real talent i have of any kind that sets me apart from anything that's a great analogy. Except maybe analogies. I'm really great at analogies. Mark. I was
0: gonna say, that one killed I actually got two in there. The Harry Potter uh, mediocre mm-hmm. analogy and the Indiana Jones is irrelevant to the Raiders of the Lost Ark story. I'm,
1: I'm going to make like a Harry Potter mediocre shirt like. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, um, and he follows it up with this burning missive. What color is a mirror?
1: Silver. Come on, Vince. <laughs> <laughs> What, you thought I was going to play on that one? No, it's silver. <laughs> um, uh, what superpower would you choose? Teleportation, because you could go anywhere and then still come home and sleep in your own bed. Yeah. And you wouldn't have to travel in airports and stuff. Like, airports, oh, they're the worst.
0: Agreed. Um, what is the best Polly Shore movie?
1: <laughs> oh, that's like, how do you want to die? Jumping off a 100-foot building or a 101-foot building? I mean, I guess um, eh, Encino Man, maybe. Was Encino... he in
0: Biodome?
1: Was he it... was with like uh, Stephen Baldwin. Brandon
0: yeah, yeah.
1: yeah, but yeah. that's got to be Encino Man. Like, did he have more these... movies than those two? No. Uh, <laughs> it's it w- just way to suck all the air out of the room, Vince.
0: Uh, <laughs> man, I just, I want to have a, a picture, like a, a just a screen of the inside of Vince's brain. With
1: some of the things he comes up with, this one's fantastic. It's like a racquetball just bouncing around in there.
0: What's the largest mammal you think you could defeat in hand-to-hand combat?
1: (laughs) Well, um, (laughs) probably not my nine-year-old. Like, I think she could take me um, because she doesn't know her own strength and she's like all core. Um, (laughs) Probably my six-year-old, but um, she's really cute. I'd be like, in the actual animal kingdom, I mean animals like it doesn't take a very large animal to mess you up like i couldn't take on a raccoon right like like my own cats mess me up if i have to take them to the vet like if you try to get a cat in a cat carrier it's like wrestling a bag of razor blades (laughs) so i don't know like maybe um a feeble old squirrel i don't know
0: (laughs) they're fast fast
1: and Uh, it has to be a mammal um yeah i don't know sugar glider
0: there we go (laughs) Yeah, yeah
1: there we go vince you happy Is
0: pizza an open-faced sandwich?
1: Uh, Is uh, is it an unzipped calzone? Um, Yeah, yeah, yes. Pizza is an open-faced sandwich. Why not? Sure.
0: Um, When you think about how many windows are in your house, what is the first room that comes to mind?
1: Um, I think about the office I'm sitting in because for the first three months of COVID... Um, I was not configured for working from home permanently. So my entire worldview was uh, my desk was pushed against the wall. And behind me was an entire room and a window. So it was, uh, it was like sitting in the corner, like you, I put myself in timeout. And then about three months in, I'm like, why am I living my life like this? This isn't changing. So I just like, I I took apart the bed in the other side of the room. I pulled the desk back so my back is against the wall. And now I have a window and an entire room in front of me. So when I think about windows, I think about how grateful I am for this window because it greatly expanded my world.
0: (laughs) And Vince's last question. uh, What's your favorite dinosaur?
1: Oh, I mean, like T-Rex is the obvious choice. Like it's it's kind of, I mean... It's it's got the giant head. It's got um, the tiny little arms. It may or may not be fast. Um, I I don't know. Although my favorite dinosaur memory is we went to one of those like animatronic uh, dinosaur exhibits at the zoo and um they had like the gigantosaurus there which i didn't know was a thing it's like the tyrannosaurus but with an even bigger more terrifying head which i thought was kind of cool it's like a kid designed it it's like oh hold on man like like a 90s child like like you like t-rex you should see t-rex with machine guns like that's what it's like and my sister-in-law was standing there taking a phone call uh like by it she just kind of checked out and gigantosaurus's head swings behind her and like roars and she just like like had a total freak out moment and that uh for that reason i've switched my vote to gigantosaurus
0: and i'm sorry your answer is incorrect the correct oh. answer is ankylosaurus oh. it's the turtle looking one that has a huge mace as a tail
1: <laughs> yeah it's got all this the the sort of nubby spikes on the, on the edge of its oh i mean that is cool, that is cool. there's so many cool dinosaurs uh-huh. Pegasaurus, yeah,
0: Triceratops, all great.
1: At that, at that same exhibit, by the way, we were walking through and there was this kid that kept saying like, I want to see Triceratops. Like this little boy Triceratops was his favorite. And there there weren't any Triceratopses to be seen until you get to the end because they've held the Tyrannosaurus back for the end. And the Tyrannosaurus is <laughs> over the bloody body of the Triceratops that it's eating. Oh, um, So Lord. that was also uh, an unintentionally comedic moment.
0: Oh, all right. Well, we've reached the, the end of <laughs> Vince's questions. Woo. Um, <laughs> okay, I need palate cleanser. Um, nah, good, good job, Vince. Um, all right, so two questions from, and I'm probably gonna butcher the name, Dara. Um, anyway, uh, Dara asks why we all know Tableau is pretty great. We really would be interested in knowing what part of it you dislike most. What one improvement could they make that would make it easier for you?
1: Um, I'm going to respond with something that isn't directly Tableau related. It was entirely me and up until a week ago was making me feel like a crazy person. So I was working on a project at work and whenever I was dragging and dropping pills, um, like every 10th time my mouse would drop one randomly in the wrong spot which if you've ever had that happen to you, like it's sanity shattering and it doesn't take that often for that to happen. And I was convinced it was a a problem with my instance of Tableau because I wasn't really experiencing it that much else. Um, But after some trial and error, I realized I don't do that much drag and dropping outside of Tableau and that my mouse, even though it was a fairly new and decent mouse, was actually the problem. So um, by switching to a newer and better mouse, I was greatly able to enrich my confidence in dragging and dropping in Tableau and thus save my sanity. Because let me tell you, it doesn't take that many times of that happening for you to just feel just like totally off kilter when you're trying to move something around. You're like watching the pill carefully. Um, and it's way too much attention to have to dedicate to that kind of activity. Although I do love uh, doing inline uh, calculations. That's fun.
0: That is fun. Um, yeah, I, I always run into that when my mouse battery starts to die and I don't realize it. And then all of a sudden stuff start, you know, starts going wrong. And I'm like, what's going on? I'm so good. You know, it's awful. All right. And then branching from this question, what do you think is the most overrated and or underrated chart type or approach commonly used by the Tableau data fan?
1: Boy, well, I think we have a Sankey addiction Um, and unfortunately, like bad Sankey usage. And by bad Sankey, I mean a one point to 10 point situation. I've seen it used as like a design choice, but really it's just creating like bad bar charts. Um, there are good uses for Sankey's, obviously, and um, they can be used highly effectively. But I think, unfortunately, that particular thing that has cropped up in maybe the past six months, I think it's just like a bad design habit will work out. But it feels like I, I like the uh, current racing bar chart. Like, hey, we've discovered this chart type. We really dig it. Um, and I think we're kind of beating that one into the ground. I think a chart I would like to see more of. Um, I would love to see some really good tree maps out there because I think it doesn't get a lot of love. And if anyone has some really great examples of it, I would love to see them. So send those my way.
0: All right. Yeah, I agree with you with the I won't even call them sankeys. It's more like
1: sigmoid abuse. Yeah. Yeah.
0: All right. (laughs) Moving on to our next questioner. Christina asks, what is your favorite Kurt Russell flick?
1: Oh, wow. Okay. Um, there's a lot of great Kurt Russell flicks. Um, I like Escape from uh, New York, not because I think it's a great movie but because I think Snake Plissken is kind of awesome and hilarious at the same time. It's just this over the top silly eighties pastiche and it's gained this pop culture relevance just so far beyond what it ever should have. I mean like that movie shouldn't have a sequel, but beyond that it shouldn't have been an inspiration for like 12 other things like metal gear was inspired by this. Like so many other things have drawn from the idea that there is this guy with like a mullet named snake, like unironically snake. It's yeah. great.
0: I mean, what other mediocre film has drawn so many like pop culture references that have actually become like iconic?
1: I mean, that's John Carpenter in general. Like <laughs> no one else has made so many movies that were just kind of okay, but afterwards you're like, "Man, that synth soundtrack was great." But no, it's <laughs> Yeah, it's like he he is like the master of 80s mediocrity. He is Harry Potter. Yeah, he's he's the Harry Potter of the 80s. <laughs> Oh, and what cheese would you be if you were cheese? I think I'd like to be pro Valo and like smooth and just a little bit smoky. <laughs>
0: um. All right. Uh. Danushki asks a single question, but it's pretty in de- it's in depth. Um. So, what made you start Data Plus? And have you enjoyed hosting it? So I need to know the good, the bad, and the ugly.
1: It's just my memoir. Yeah. Um. <laughs> you asked. I know this is all entirely on me. So Danushki, I started this because I wanted to uh, enjoy some of the great uh, conference conversations I was having year round. So I had some really great dinners last year at the, I guess, two years ago, Tableau conference in person. And I was like, wow, like I'm really connecting with people, like not just about data and stuff, but getting to know people better. Because once you're an adult, it's really hard to make new friends and uh, having a common medium, whether that be like, I don't know, a uh, hobby or going to church or Dungeons and Dragons or what have you. In our case, data visualization as a medium for making new friends is just a really spectacular way to do it. Because otherwise, what do you, what do you have in common? You have to find something in common. You have to start somewhere. Um, so I had a really great time at the conference talking to people. I'm like, how do I extend that feeling? Maybe not just for myself, but for other people, too. And I was like, OK, well, what am I decent at? Like I can talk. Um, So I thought I could do a podcast since people had always told me I had a radio voice and... I'm generally pretty good at listening and responding. So it sort of went from there. I started researching how you do one. I uh, did practice recordings. I learned how to edit, like all of this between the conference and January 1st of that year or the next year. So I had about a month and a half to get it all together. So I recorded three episodes in advance. I figured out how to, you know, get podcasts out there in the aggregators that you could download it from Spotify or wherever, and then just sort of ran with it. And uh, one thing I'm fairly decent at is I'm pretty good at promoting things, uh, which I use very sparingly on myself because for one thing, I don't think I'm that great and uh, it's a low self-esteemy thing, uh, but also I find it really gauche to just always be out there talking about yourself. So I kind of, would rather talk about like a piece of work I did like, Hey, look at this. This is interesting rather than myself. So that's been one of the dilemmas with the podcast, which is why it's been easier for me to make the podcast about the guests and say, Hey, come listen to so-and-so because I'm interested in hearing about them and talking to them. So maybe you would be too. Um, Which is why the solo episodes are particularly weird for me. Like, Hey, listen to me talk for 15 minutes. That's something great. Um, so yeah, it's uh, it's been a great experience and it's been fun to do. The hardest part and the part that I'm worst at, and many of the guests will probably tell you this, is I'm not a great booker. I'm not super organized in that. Oftentimes my schedule has to be flexible because my kids might not go to sleep. Or maybe someone randomly has danced that night and didn't tell me um, or something along those lines. Or just in general, sometimes I'll ask someone, hey, would you like to be on? And then it slips my mind, like maybe for six weeks or something. And then I realize like, oh, I asked this person months ago and I never followed up. And I've done that with like um, some date of his royalty. Like I won't drop any names, but it like more than once with people, you'd be like, you ghosted this person. It's like, yes. Yes, I did. like not on purpose. like I mean when I talk about like getting banned by someone, I mean Edward Tufty. I wouldn't want like Steve Wexler to like block me. like that would be heartbreaking for me. but Tufty like that would be a badge of honor. like I would feel I would feel kind of cool for that. So again, if anyone can help me get um, blocked by Edward Tufty. <laughs> Everybody's got to have goals. Right. Like, I have also told my wife, like, I've always wanted to have a lifetime ban from someplace, but like, not a place I want to be banned from. So, we were at a steakhouse once or something. Or, like, w- my, my wife's like, hey, let's go here with the kids. I'm like, no, 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 no. Like, that's not the kind of place I want a lifetime ban from. Like, <laughs> like I'd rather have it like, like, oh, Charlie's. Like, it's like, you are banned from this, oh, Charlie's. Like, thank you. Like, great.
0: All right. Um... Maybe I do
1: have a bucket list. <laughs>
0: The next question is coming from Bo. If you could watch one person, alive or not, interact with one of your projects, who would it be and which project would so
1: um So I think in that case, I'd have to go uh, back to the Freakonomics authors and probably Stephen Levitt, the economist, because um, he was so influential to me. And I would love to show him my uh, Mary and the names that defined our generations viz, um, because I know that in their books, they wrote about... Like, uh, just essentially they did several units on names and like how we believe names hold so much value. And in some cases they seem to, in other cases they don't. And I found that interesting to sort of quantify and go through and look at how some names have sort of come in and out of popularity, how the overall quantities of names out there that people are, you know, naming their children is expanding. And in the case of women, much more rapidly than men. And sort of like, if you look at the different generations, the women's names turn over so much more frequently than men's because men sort of have this sort of stick to the Judeo-Christian bent. You see like a lot of Johns and Marks and, you know, Matthews. And uh, with women's names, I think people have traditionally been a lot more inventive, uh, particularly in the United States, which the data is based on. But yeah, I'd really like to see Stephen Levitt. That'd
0: be cool. Uh, Justin wants to know, who is your favorite person to work with in your new job? And why is it Justin?
1: It's Justin because Justin helps me get organized. So one of the things, as I mentioned before, I'm not the best at is organization. And Justin has really helped with that at work. So by um, basically making, you know, having tips and just generally um, helping me optimize the way I work the best, like rather than telling me how to work, helping me figure out how I work and how best to do that. It's really been um, a load off because particularly in a new role, you know, you've got a lot of different responsibilities and projects and stuff and you don't want anything to slip through the cracks, but it's also very easy to feel overwhelmed. And I think he's really taken a lot of that stress off.
0: Very cool. So how long have you been in your new role?
1: Uh, now, um, I'm Yeah, sure. It's almost, it'll almost be three months by the time we record this. So I came over at the end of September to JLL. I previously worked at uh, St. Jude Children's Research Hospital, uh, particularly ALSAC uh, for 13. Um, so it's a big leap for me since most of my professional career has been there. So uh, yeah, it was a big leap, um, but the community there is truly amazing. Lots of really dedicated, passionate people. Um, any job you go to is going to have like New things that are both exciting and new things that are kind of frustrating in ways that you couldn't have anticipated. But that's just life in any uh, job. So, you know, sort of adapting and understanding, like, oh, okay, this is different over here than what I worked with before. So how do I work within this particular system than the other one? And particularly from going with such a small nonprofit organization to like a large organization with like 91,000 global employees, it's like, there's a lot more complexity with getting stuff done sometimes. So just sort of understanding how to navigate those processes has been a new experience.
0: So what you're saying is you found a, a way to deal with.
1: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, so, I, so, I, so it's clearly my number one roadblock. Yes.
0: Yeah, I could read that. Oh my gosh. All right. Um, Katie wants to know, comparing the type of work you do today to your prior job, what are some of the pros and cons? So I guess this goes to kind of what we were just talking
1: about. Yeah. So, I mean, with my old job, um, it's interesting. Um, with my old job, I think I believed I had a lot more level of freedom than I did simply because so few of our processes were definitely clearly defined. This is how it needs to happen. And unfortunately, in some ways that kind of led to like a wild west with very few of us being torchbearers for like, Hey, this should be the standard of how we operate in my new job. We definitely have much more clear standards, but also there's a lot of leeway sort of given to you as an analyst for problem solving. So in some case I might be working with a client. Um, and they might have an idea of like hey this is what we need to get done and rather than like sort of a one size fits all like oh i'll make a dashboard for that i might be like i don't think a dashboard is the solution you need i think we might be able to do something like an SSRS package that will deal with this more simply cuz all you need is a tabular view and you know and tableau is great for a lot of things but tableau is not like probably the preferred tool for just tabular data uh, and it's fine it doesn't need to be a master of everything it's a data visualization tool and you know, that's not uh, necessarily its forte. Um, so yeah, it's I, I'm enjoying uh, some of the levels of freedom. And also just having a Viz standards guide, which we have one of our Viz standards guides out online, I don't think it's the most recent version, um, was an adjustment at first, because I was used to a whole lot more, like I was saying, freedom in that. But once you've gotten used to the idea of there being some, not necessarily rules, but guidance in place, I mean, we can definitely push back against the Viz standard if we really advocated for something like, hey, I think this would be the best thing we could do right here. It's going to violate the standard a little bit. Let me advocate for why. I think people will definitely be receptive to it. But having something that hems you in actually opens up your creativity in a lot of ways, because you're like, okay, so here are things I can't do. So I can't put 12 charts on a page. That wouldn't be something we'd do. If I have to make the most of a page, what could I do the best with X number of charts? And how could I leverage that to deliver the most efficiency to the most number of people with the uh, least cognitive load?
0: Yeah, I would think, and, and I've never actually had a true sk- style guide in any of my positions. Um, I would think that part of that would actually help because I worry so much about oh, what fonts and color palettes, and you know what chart types, and this, that, and the other. I would think that if I had those kind of like guidelines, that I could actually focus way more on the data and the actual analysis, and and you start to get a much better like product.
1: I mean, it really does. Like, I'll be, I'll be honest. Like at first, like working with it, there was the initial frustration of like, what font do I use here? Like, I don't remember. But then once you realize like, oh, I've got a template and I can always revert to just using the template and dragging the template into another workbook I'm working on and just all the, all the settings shift over. And it's just so easy to plug new values in, particularly now that you can just replace um, items on the dashboard. Um, Is it like... That which is a fairly new feature. I forget what version that came over in. But yeah, it's it's actually really kind of great. It's just an adjustment. And I mean, even if you don't have one internally, I know David's starting uh, doing one for St. Jude since I left as well. Like, I think it could be extraordinarily useful mm-hmm. and oddly freeing uh, for something that sets rules.
0: Yeah, I've actually started creating one for some of the work we're doing internally um, for demos, uh, especially when they're getting embedded in Salesforce. Um, so. If you see a demo soon, uh, you might see some of my style guides. Hey. <laughs> so, and the the final question in this wow. quest of Data Ask Them Anything is from Luigi. And it hurts my brain to a- ask this question, to even think about the item. Um, but he wants to know how you would rate David Hasselhoff's portrayal of Nick Fury.
1: So <laughs> your, your your brain is wrinkling about this, but... There was a Nick Fury in the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. movie, I believe, probably in the early 90s. It wasn't an 80s thing back when Hasselhoff was in all of his glory as Michael Knight on Knight Rider, which for some reason, when I was a kid, my parents let me as a five year old living in Pennsylvania, watch Knight Rider and Dukes of Hazzard whenever I want, which was awesome because those shows were rad. Um and and for if, when you have a talking car that has a turbo boost functionality, you're required by law to use it once in every episode. Like I know that much. Um, the answer is is not great, Luigi, because it is David Hasselhoff. Um, having said that, at the time, it was the best anyone was going to get, and he does look the most like the conventional Jack Kirby rendering of Nick Fury. So I'll give you that. So not that great.
0: I did not know this existed. Oh well, yeah. So I feel like I've got to go do some YouTube hunting.
1: There's also a Dolph Lundgren Punisher.
0: I've seen that. Yeah. So
1: It's weird um, stuff, man.
0: That is 50 questions. Wow. Of Data Ask Them Anything. Um, wow.
1: <laughs> I'm sorry, everyone. <laughs> but you know what? This is, this is on all of you because I, I asked for questions and, and you did this.
0: I'll tell you what, Zach. It just goes to show how revered you are in the data fam community, because I'm pretty sure if I had put that call out, I would have had like one question and some crickets,
1: you know? So having said that, I'm going to be putting on a survey. If you'd like Mark to do one of these, (laughs) Um, because it's been a great year for the data plus love podcast. We've done a full year of my episodes. Mark has come over from his video show and is doing data fam news. And I think this may be a regular format. So if there are people that you would love to see do one of these, or if you'd like to see Mark do one and you have questions, I would love to host him because this has been crazy. Yeah. So this has been fun. It's been Um, fun. Our energy is good together. We should should do this more often, Mark.
0: You know what? I think there's another idea. I think we'll uh, we'll 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 hash
1: that out. If you want more more of us talking <laughs> about things and and answering bizarre questions or answering bizarre questions, but hey, thanks thanks for uh, thanks for all this, everybody.
0: Yeah, these 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 have been great. So uh, I guess we'll close it up here for the inaugural episode of Data Ask Them Anything. Uh, our target has been Zach. Your host has been myself, Mark. And we will see you next time right here on the data plus love podcast.
1: See ya. Hey, you're still here. Um, You're probably waiting for like the next podcast uh, to kick in. Probably something better. Um, Thanks for hanging on. Anyway, if you're picking up what we're putting down, uh, consider buying us a cup of coffee on ko-fi.com slash D-A-T-A-P-L-U-S-L-O-V-E. Just, you know, drop $3 in our tip bucket. It helps us buy better equipment. It helps us uh, pay for razor blades to keep me from looking like a wolfman. And it keeps uh, Mark's head looking so shiny and beautiful. Anyway, thanks for listening. We'll never put anything behind a paywall. And thanks to your patronage. Have a great day. Hey, thanks for sticking around to the end. I really appreciate you listening to the Data Plus Love podcast. If you'd like to see more about what we're up to with the show, go to anchor.fm slash data plus love. Just spell it out, not a literal plus sign. Here you'll be able to see our library of episodes as well as interact with them either through polls or comments or leave a voicemail message that I'll put on an episode. You can interact with me personally by joining me on Twitter. I'm at Zach Bowders, not hard to hunt down. And if you like what you're hearing, consider leaving a tip for us or signing up for a small monthly donation at our ko-fi.com slash data plus love. Buying a cup of coffee for the show is just $3 and you can get more if you choose or sign up to give that $3 or more monthly. Either way, I really appreciate it. Lastly, if you'd like to see more of my public data viz work, check me out on Tableau Public. So go to public.tableau.com and search for Zach Bowders. I'm the only one. You won't have trouble finding me. I promise. So thanks again for hanging on to the end of the show. I really appreciate all of your listens. And until next time, this has been Zach Bowders for the Data Plus Love Network.